0: Jesus, thank you so much for this evening service where we get to come together, gather with one another and with you in your presence and turn our hearts towards you and towards your entrance into Jerusalem and the beginning of Holy Week. Right now, God, we pray that you would give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are deeply changed by your hope and your message of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. We're going to be reading from the passage of Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he goes on ahead going up to Jerusalem. This is right one week prior to the crucifixion and uh, death, burial, and resurrection. So he's entering into Jerusalem. As he approaches Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's end our reading right there for now, and we'll go through the story a little bit and try to unpack what's happening. <clears throat> so we call this day Palm Sunday. And Junior wonderfully joked that it's Palm Sunday, but it's, it's actually over the palm branches, right? <laughs> which when the Israelites entered the land of Israel, they were promised seven species or varieties to be in the land. This is in the book of Deuteronomy, which we'll be preaching through next. And when they arrive, one of those plants that'll be promised is the date palm. And so there's these palm trees, palm branches all over. Now, today, this morning in Jerusalem, um, and they're about 10 hours ahead of us, so now it's their nighttime, but this morning in Jerusalem, this is what this scene looked like. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Christian pilgrims come from all over the world to celebrate Palm Sunday, and they gather up at the top of Mount Olives and they process down towards the Temple Mount, just like Jesus and the disciples did 2,000 years ago. Now, I grew up in a liturgical church, a Lutheran church, where Palm Sunday was my favorite holiday. And the reason why was because in the Lutheran church, for 40 days of Lent prior to today, you are not allowed to say an Alleluia or a Hosanna. It's 40 days of preparation for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But when Palm Sunday comes, you get to let loose with the hosannas. So somehow I didn't even know that growing up, but I internalized it. And I remembered, you know, going in for Ash Wednesday and getting the ashes on our forehead and preparing ourselves. And then on Palm Sunday, everybody was outside the church, welcoming everybody in. As you'd arrive, there'd be palm branches there. We'd make little crosses with our palm leaves and everyone would be shouting like Hosanna in the highest. And I just loved this holiday. didn't get extra treats. I just loved it. It was so fun. And this still resonates with Christians all over the world. I'm here again coming down the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, but here all over from the Philippines, from Asia, from all around the world, in the Greek Orthodox Church, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, all around, people waving palm branches and celebrating and remembering this event that happened 2,000 years ago. Now, let's then go back in time and try to see what's happening because it seems as though Jesus and the disciples and actually all of Jerusalem are knowingly and perhaps unconsciously participating in a bit of street theater. That there are some plays and stories that are going on throughout the city on this event that we call Palm Sunday. Now, for them, 2,000 years ago, they didn't call it Palm Sunday yet. All right. In their scripture soaked minds, they called it the beginning of Passover week, which, if you'll recall, Passover is a celebration of? The of death over. Right. The angel of death passing over with the blood onto the doorpost and Israel being set free from oppression of Egypt. So there they go. They're celebrating that Feast of Freedom. And just before Passover begins, we all have to pick our lamb. And so Jesus is actually entering in, not on what we would call Palm Sunday, but on what they would call Lamb Selection Day. So that's some pretty good work by the scenery and prop people in the street theater, isn't it? Jesus could have entered in on Monday, but he didn't. He enters into Jerusalem on lamb selection day. Here's that passage out of Exodus chapter 12, right? So God is giving the the instructions to Moses and the Israelites. And he says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, and then take care of that lamb until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now why would God have us take a lamb and have it live with us for a whole week prior to the Passover sacrifice? So this is lamb selection day and Jesus is entering on in on the day that all the families are picking that lamb that will come and live with them. I mean, I have a little kid, right? So I can imagine so we're going to pick the cutest one. And then we're going to be like, don't name it. Don't name it. Oh my gosh. Riley. And it's going to be rough and tough. And then we're going to have to see what that sacrifice looks like just a few days later. Right. And Jesus chooses this as the day again, not known then as Palm Sunday, but known then as lamb selection day to enter on in. Now, those of us here might say, you know what, that's ancient history. Right, That Passover event in Egypt, I mean, that happened a long time ago. Moses was a long time ago, but it wasn't ancient history for them. And so they're participating in this beautiful piece of street theater of like, what day should we come on in and how should that look? And then as the crowd starts to chant, they start to, according to John chapter 12, say Hosanna. They take palm branches and with, go out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, why that cry? And growing up, nobody ever told me what it meant right? It just, I just, I was like, yay, God, right? Hosanna, <laughs> praise God, right? I mean, nobody tells you Bible words, right? It took me a long time. I'm embarrassed to say, I think high school, I figured out Corinth was a place. Like cor- Corinthians just sounded like a Bible word that you said, right? Like there was first Corinthians and there was second Corinthians. I don't know. It's like, you know, that's all I got. So then I was like, oh, wait, California, Californians, I got It, <laughs> it took me a while. So Here we have them shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, what does this mean? And why should we stop here? And why the palm branches? Why not just their palms? Why not something else, right? What makes them pull this up at this point in time? So here we go back again to maybe a little bit of street theater that's happening. You see, not long before the time of Jesus, around 175 to 164 BCE, there's this horrible guy that rules Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Now, he was terrible, he did horrible things, he ordered extreme taxes we've talked about this guy a lot. Like th- this guy was awful to the Jews. He hel- he appointed Hellenized Jews as the high priest. Like the f- guy's name's Jason. That doesn't sound like, you know, somebody from the line of Aaron. So we don't like that guy. Um, of their own choosing to the highest bidder, right? They, they are now holding the priest clothes. Like if you want to pay the most money, you can be these people. He plunders the temple in 169 BCE. They really, the Jews really don't like this guy. But then we get these false rumors of him dying in 168 BCE. And we have a party and we're really excited about the fact that this guy died, but then he didn't really die. And so he comes back in 167 BCE and he does horrible things. He erects a statue of Zeus in the temple. He sacrifices a pig. He forbids the Sabbath. He forbids the keeping of kosher. He forbids the festivals. He forbids circumcision. He forbids the study of the Torah. And in fact, if you were found continuing to participate in any of these Jewish practices, then you were punished, unto death. Women, it says in the book of Maccabees that um, insisted on circumcising their sons on the eighth day had to hang the strangled body of their son from their neck and walk around town out of warning. I mean, so this guy's bad, right? Now, when this happens, then there's a Jewish uprising. Like, this is enough of this. We cannot have this type of desecration of the temple. And the Maccabees, the hammers come on in, and the revolt begins in 167. Antiochus dies, and the temple's rededicated in 164 BCE. We call this feast of dedication Hanukkah. But it says in the book of Maccabees that when this happened, they realized that they had not been able to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, right? It's already December, like Hanukkah time. And so they went back. They've cleansed the temple. We need to keep the Feast of Tabernacles of Sukkot because... We need to cleanse the temple, rededicate it, just as Solomon did years ago. And we, I think that's mine. And then um, the scream. <laughs> that's, that's the noise they made when they sacrificed the pig in the temple. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, I'm totally lost now. All right, here we go. So the Feast of Tabernacles has not been celebrated. When Solomon dedicated the temple years before, he dedicated it during the Feast of Tabernacles. And during that time, we remember that we dwell in temporary dwellings in Egypt, but also that we need to pray for God to send rain. And in those instructions, God says, grab palm branches and shake them joyfully before me for these eight days. So the Maccabees, realizing that they've missed the holiday, but they don't want to disobey God, go back and sort of grab all the symbols and practices of the holiday and yes, it's December, but you know what? That bad guy was here in October. So we're going to celebrate it now. So here's what it says in 2nd Maccabees 10. They kept the eight days with gladness as in the feast of tabernacles, remembering that not long before they had held the feast of Sukkot when as they wandered in the mountains and dens like beasts, and therefore they bare branches and fair and palms also and sang psalms unto him that had given them good success in cleansing his place, cleansing the temple. So, the symbol of the palm branch, which had always been attached to entering into the land and God's many blessings, as well as send us rain and God's going to provide for us and all of that, also became known then for the Maccabees and for the Jews following as a symbol of revolt and victory, similar to any other patriotic symbol you can think of, right? So, that when you, when you go in your neighborhood for 4th of July and you see everybody putting out flags, when people would put out palm branches, it has that same kind of patriotic feeling. So when they start to pick up palm branches, and this is a picture of Sukkot today for the Jewish people at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And look, they're waving palm branches just like we do, but just several months later, right? And so when they wave those palm branches, that is a picture of victory, of having our own space back that we are under self-rule again and that God has kicked out the oppressors, that horrible Antiochus Epiphanes, he's gone and God has put us into self-rule. But unfortunately, just after the Jews have self-rule for a while, not long following, the Romans come. (laughs) And we might say to ourselves, listen, you know what? This is ancient history. But it wasn't ancient history for them, nor was it ancient history for Rome. Because it was just in 63 BCE that Pompey, who had been fighting pirates, arg, comes and sacks Jerusalem, taking advantage of a civil war between the Jewish brothers who were leading. And sacks Jerusalem, and now Rome is in charge. Now, when Rome is in charge, they like to do this thing called Pax Romana, which basically means we're going to keep the peace, but we're in charge of you. And so we will let you have your temple, but we're going to only give, again, the high priesthood and the leadership to those that we like. We're going to give it to the highest bidder. Uh, We're going to hold your priestly clothes for you every night so that you have to check them out real, just completely in complete humiliation every morning, turn them back into us in the evening, right? We're going to appoint a king over you who's not going to be Jewish, who's not going to be of the line of David, his name's going to be Herod, and he's going to have a brutal rule. So all of that is there. So Rome now is in charge, and this is the time of when it says, in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah. right? This is what Jesus is born into, That Rome is in charge. And when Caesar comes in, Caesar doesn't just say, hey, I'm in charge for a little while. He starts putting on the coins things like, I am the high priest and I am the divine son of God. So now Rome is the new oppressor. And now here we are at the festival, the freedom festival of Passover. We are crying out for freedom. Rome is in charge. And we start to shout, Hosanna. Hosanna, which means save, please. hosanna, please. The provocative impact of cries of help accompanied by palm waving would call to mind the Maccabean deliverance two centuries earlier, a powerful appeal calculated to incite the oppressed and alarm the oppressors. So up on that mountain, as Jesus and the disciples start to come in, people start to, on Lamb Selection Day, during the Festival of Freedom, people start to shout, save, please. Save now. And they start to wave the branches that are attached to that type of freedom movement. Now, if you're Rome... And you've said, yes, you can have your temple, but we're going to build this really high fortress right on the outside called the Antonio Fortress so that we can sit in it and look down at you as you worship and remind you who's in charge. If you're Rome and you're here, there's the Antonio Fortress. And right where we would be standing, looking down as the Mount of Olives, you can hear the crowd coming. And as we, as the Roman soldiers would look up at the Mount of Olives and see that crowd coming, you're thinking, oh boy, here comes trouble. We already are on edge. It's already the freedom festival when these Jews think that they can be in charge. This happens every year, right? And now they've got some Messiah figure that they're following. And now they're starting to pick up their patriotic symbols that they've put on coins to talk about their self-rule. And they've started to wave them and they've started to chant, save now, save, please. This is the king. This is the one. He is the king. Now we might say that's ancient history, but it was an ancient history for the Romans, and it was not ancient history for the people that were in Jerusalem that day. All of these images are going to be grabbed a hold of in this entire parade and display and procession down into this place. Now, there's one other piece. As Jesus is there going down now, he's going to start coming down the Mount of Olives, approaching what is known as the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate, which is how kings always arrived into Jerusalem. They always arrived from the east. You can read about it multiple times. Come down off the Mount of Olives and come in and up into the place. So much so that Suleiman the Magnificent, an Ottoman ruler much later on, was so concerned that messiahs were going to keep trying to come through the Golden Gate that he paved over the opening so that no Messiah can come there anymore, right? Um, That's not the gate of Jesus' day. The gate of Jesus' day is underground. If you stand there and fall through one of those graves, then you can see the top of that arch. But it was the gate of Suleiman's day, and it was still known as the Eastern Gate and the Golden Gate. So let's pave that over so no Messiah can come that way. So here's Jesus up on the Mount of Olives. He's coming down the route that all the kings are supposed to come down, and he's approaching this gate. And as he approaches Jerusalem, he sees the city, it says in Luke, and he wept over it. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground you and your children within these walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We didn't do the weeping part growing up. We only did the hosannas, which I always just thought meant like sort of yay Jesus. when Jesus is coming down in the midst of this huge parade, in the midst of people grabbing hold of these symbols and making these shouts, something in this moment, maybe it's that he knows what will come in 70 AD, that there'll be the massive destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans. But what else would cause him to weep? There is a church there that I love, and I don't go into many churches because we're always like in the ancient times, but this church I always stop in. It remembers Jesus weeping. It's built to look like a teardrop. And as you go inside, there's this window where right in front is this communion altar. And looking through, you can see the Temple Mount just behind it. And there's something about this that, that always deeply moves me to think that, As everyone else is celebrating, as the disciples are celebrating, as everyone's anticipating a king entering in who's now going to finally get these Romans out of here, kick everybody out, let's do the thing we need to do. Hosanna, Hosanna, let's go with this thing. And Jesus stops and weeps, weeps, because they do not know the time of God's coming. They seem to have grabbed hold of all of these symbols that are about an earthly fight, an earthly deliverance, something that's going to come with power and with bloodshed. But as Jesus has gotten on this colt, now mind you, it is not a horse like Pilate and the Romans will come in on in anticipation of this festival. He gets on this lowly colt and we read that passage from Zechariah 9, nine. you know, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah writes these words um, just after the 586 Babylonian exile and then return back. And he's he's trying to give some prophetic and in many ways some apocalyptic literature type words that are going to encourage the people. And we might go, well, yes, this is amazing. And he's seeing how, how Judah will come back home, how Israel will come back home even after exile. He has this incredible vision. We might say, well, that's ancient history that happened a long time, but let's read the next couple verses of what Zechariah says. Just after that, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will store twice as much to you. This picture of a king on a donkey is not a king on a war horse. It's a king who comes and brings peace. But instead, they pick up their arms and they are ready to go to battle. And this is what causes Jesus to weep, perhaps. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you don't know. This is not the way my kingdom comes. So I'd like to leave us with a few questions. Who is this king that we beg to save us? Is he the king of our own making, the king of our own imagination, the king that will only heed our demands? Who is this king? Who is this king of glory? Who is he? Because as Jesus enters into Jerusalem at the beginning of what we're going to call Holy Week or Passion Week, Jesus is calling all of us to see who he is and what he is about. And his empire and his power and his rule is not going to come with bloodshed. In fact, this Holy Week, this Passion Week, Jesus' full heart and his full kingdom is on display, as it has been his entire ministry. And he's starting to teach us again and again, and we'll see it as he washes feet, as he heals, as he brings close the marginalized. We're going to start to understand that Jesus' kingdom comes with sacrifice and with love and with mercy. That Jesus' kingdom comes with the cross. That it comes with a demand for laying down our lives, following in his example, and not coming against the oppressor the way that we might be most prone to, and thereby becoming the very thing we hate, right? But instead, starting to see that this kingdom Jesus invites us to is different. It lasts. It's the one that says to all of the systems of oppression, be they Romans or Persians Or, I don't know, racism, white supremacy, injustice, death, the grave, homophobia, whatever it is, unjust systems of wealth and brutality in this world a lack of concern for one another, a lack of concern for where we live, for how we live. All of those systems that we all participate in day by day, minute by minute, many of us without even knowing, all of those, Jesus comes and Jesus' kingdom stands to all of those systems of oppression and says, no more, we will stop all of this. Jesus' kingdom calls us to participate in his new power and kingdom, which is a laying down of our life for one another. And through it, we find resurrection. That when we stand at the grave, we will find resurrection. That there's hope here. And it's not going to come by making one more oppressor go away and one more kingdom because another will just fill its spot. It's It's by coming and saying, okay, your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So my prayer for us today is that this week, we'll just continue to ask ourselves the question, who is this Jesus? And how is it that he's calling us to live? And what is it that he's doing that we might be invited into and participate in with him? How might we start to see more of this deliverance? The cry is correct, isn't it? We all need to be saved. It's okay to shout, save us, please every Palm Sunday. We need deliverance, but it won't come with the sword. It's going to come through the laying down of our life. I'd like to invite us to the table. Now invite the worship team up. If you would like to continue to say yes to Jesus, to participate in that covenant of his blood, we would like to invite you to the table for communion. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as you feel led, you're welcome to the table.